Podcastle, episode 222, for August 21st, 2012. The Secret Beach, by Tim Pratt. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and as the summer begins to wind down, we've got a wicked little beach tale to warm your sunburned souls. But first, I've got some administrative stuff I want to cover, and i got to admit, I'm pretty stoked. Point one, ladies and gentlemen, pronouns of all ages. We, the overseers at PodCastle, want to offer a huge congratulations to our associate editor, Anne Leckie, who just landed a three-book deal with Orbit, beginning with her debut novel, Ancillary Justice. This book is a mind-bending space opera. Both Anna and I have had the privilege of reading an earlier version of it, and we're so excited to see it's been picked up by Orbit. No idea when the book will actually be out, and I'm sure we'll be mentioning it more and more as it gets closer, but again, we just want to offer a huge congrats to Anne Leckie. I, for one, am looking forward to reading it all over again and welcoming our new ancillary overlords. Point two. I am not going to be at Worldcon. My co-editor, Anna Schwind, is not going to be at Worldcon either. And Lucky is, as is my buddy Mer Lafferty. There is some kind of escape artist meetup. Let's see, if I look at Mer's invitation here, ah yeah. Saturday at 4 p.m. at the big bar. Drink up, let us know how it is. Uh, you can follow Mer at Mighty Mer or at Escape Podcast over at Twitter. Or check the forum at forum.escapeartist.net for more information. Point the third. A couple years back, we did a flash fiction contest. Remember that? Well, Escape Pod is now currently doing one. The rules and regulations are up at our forum, but essentially, you can submit two entries of 750 words or less to the contest. No later than September 15th. Send your stories to eaflash at gmail.com, but... Make sure you read the complete rules on our forum. Now, the natural question is, will PodCastle be doing another one? And the answer is, yeah, we think so. But we're going to spread things out this time, so it might not happen for another few months or even until next year. So focus your attention and mad science writing skills on science fiction for now, folks. We'll let you know more about the PodCastle contest when we do. Point four. I've got some exciting news of my own, but let's hit that after the story. Point five. Are you guys ready for the story yet? Podcastle is very proud to present The Secret Beach by Tim Pratt. Originally published in Fantasy Magazine, which now makes up the fantasy half of Lightspeed. Tim Pratt. <laughs> oh boy. Tim Pratt. He's no stranger to the shores of Podcastle, is he? If you've been listening to us for a little bit of time, you know he's one of our favorite authors here. We've featured more of his stories than any other author at PodCastle. He's a Hugo Award-winning author, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Tim's now got a new Kickstarter going for a brand spanking new collection of his short fiction called Antiquities and Intangibles. So if you hear this before August 29th, you still have time to back it. He's also the author of the Marla Mason novels, The Strange Adventures of Ranger Girl, and Briar Patch. 
The story will be read by Podcastle's own favorite California beach bum king. So down some rum, put on your SPF 50 sunscreen spray, grab your surfboard, and enjoy the story. The Secret Beach by Tim Pratt Two teenagers showed me the way. A boy and a girl, not siblings, but also not in love, for if they were trying to hide it from one another. I was walking along the sidewalk toward downtown Berkeley, a few blocks past the long-abandoned ice skating rink, thinking how nice it would be to be the sort of person who bicycles along, with a loaf of fresh bread sticking up jauntily from the bike's basket, instead of the kind of person walking to the drugstore to buy club soda, because things haven't got quite bad enough for me to drink cheap scotch straight yet. That's when I saw them, dripping wet in swimsuits, each with a towel draped damply over a shoulder, laughing as they turned a corner in one of the residential neighborhoods between downtown and the bay. I paused because I couldn't think where they'd be walking from, miles from the bay, which was way too cold to brave without a wetsuit anyway, and there were no public pools over there, and while there might have been a pool in someone's backyard, those weren't common. Houses in this part of town tend to be squeezed onto lots barely larger than themselves. The houses with yards of any size are precious commodities, never mind swimming pools. Besides, they had sand on their bare legs and stuck to their arms, and though I'm the kind of person who uses the self-checkout line at grocery stores just to avoid the necessity of small conversation with a human cashier, I blurted out, Hey, where were you guys swimming? as they reached the corner where I lingered. They exchanged a glance of raised eyebrows and quirked lips, both inhabitants of a world of nonverbal communication, for which I had neither map nor codebook, and she said, The beach, and giggled, the laugh of someone who thinks disappointment is something that happens to other people, far away, like earthquakes in China, or tsunamis in the South Pacific. They both walked on past me up the street, moving a little faster than before, sparing their exit line from any follow-up questions from the balding 30-something guy, wearing too much black for such a warm day. I forgot about my trip to the CVS and the all-important club soda, even though that first tall glass, filled with ice and two shots of Trader Joe's blended scotch whiskey, $9.99 a bottle, and a crackling, popping measure of soda to fill it up, had become the closest thing in my life to a sacrament or a vocation. Instead, I turned down the sidewalk the way the teenagers had come. And yes, I say they showed me the way, because they'd left wet shoe prints on the sidewalk, and the occasional spatter of dripping water, like a blood trail on a forensic crime show, making a trail even a city dweller like me could follow, like a great wilderness tracker. I followed their dripping trail past flaking Victorian houses and brightly painted adobe bungalows, yards full of oversized flowers, or drought-resistant succulents, until after a block and a half or so their trail ended, next to an empty lot enclosed by a chain-link fence, so overgrown with vines that it could have passed for the entry to a jungle ruin. Was there some kind of renegade swimming hole in there? A guerrilla community art project of hauled-in sand and a concrete-lined pit? Like the pocket parks that sprang up sometimes, 
when enterprising hippies or hipsters decided to reclaim waste ground or precious parking spots with a few cubic feet of potting soil, a plastic beach, and an ornamental fountain? Seemed like an ill-advised project, ultimately just a mosquito breeding program. But what else could it be? I pushed through the overgrown shrubs, barely making out a trail, and reached the fence where I found the chain link had been cut apart and then reclosed with fuzzy pipe cleaners, green and red and blue. Does anyone use pipe cleaners to clean their pipes anymore, or are they produced exclusively as art and craft supplies for children? I carefully untwisted them and squeezed through the gap, snagging my sagging belly flesh on a sharp end of wire and sucking in a hiss of air through my teeth. Once I was through, I stood up, under a sky that was noticeably bluer, and more cloudless than the one on the other side of the fence, and stared at the closest thing on earth to infinity, the ocean, or at least, an ocean. Now, understand, Berkeley, California doesn't abut the ocean. Berkeley does touch San Francisco, a few miles to the west, and it's a pretty enough sight when the weather's right, the gray city beyond the bay rising up from the water. But this was ocean, blue-green, wide as wide can be, view so clear that you could see the curve of the horizon and a beach of sand the color of breadcrumbs toasted golden. The sound of the surf was the world's own rhythm section, a percussive susurration that had been utterly inaudible beyond the fence and now filled the world. In stories, people usually assume they've gone crazy when things like this happen. It occurred to me that this all might be a dream, but I never noticed smells in my dream, and this was a world of salt tang and crisp air. I sank to my knees in the warm sand and stared at the grand expanse of tumbling waves, and thought, if this was a coma or some profound electromechanical misfiring in my brain, then so be it. It was the most beautiful way to go I could imagine. There's a place in Maui where I went on my honeymoon, that most people just call Big Beach, considered one of the most pleasant stretches of shoreline in the inhabited world. And there's a place near Santa Cruz on Highway 1, where you pass beneath a natural bridge and discover a strand of narrow sand bordered on one side by sea cliffs and on the other by the cold, lovely Pacific. Both are glorious places, homes of my heart, from a time when my life was an opening out instead of a closing in. I betrayed both instantly. This beach, this twist in the usual flow of time and space, was my new favorite place in the world, or out of it. I turned back to the fence. It was still there, but shockingly small, the width of a garage door, pinned between towering cliff walls that gave me vertigo to contemplate, and extended as far as I could see in either direction. Those cliffs weren't California sandstone, like something from the shores of England, but bordering a tropical sea. I went to the gate and refastened the gap with those flimsy pipe cleaners, wishing for chains and padlocks and razor wire, but then this wasn't mine to claim. I was an interloper, wasn't I? Those kids hadn't walked me to the door, but they hadn't locked up the gate either, and this place was surely big enough for more than me. I left my shoes by the fence and set out walking barefoot in the sand going west based on my own sense of direction, but 
going north, judging by the sun, which I realized wasn't the same sun, a trifle more orange, maybe, perhaps a bit larger and lower in the sky. How could I even be sure the sun was setting, or that it would set in the west, or that this place even had a west? After years of being sure of everything, and pleased with nothing, being utterly uncertain filled my head with a thrillful fizz of just enough champagne. The sand was glorious under my feet, not too hot, and I walked down to the water. Proof enough this was no California coast. The water was pleasantly warm, like a hot bath after forty minutes of soaking, and there were no ugly masses of dead kelp in the sand. No birds, either, or crabs, but lots of seashells. I rolled up my pant legs to my knees and waded into the foaming surf, bending to pick up impossibly smooth stones and bits of shell and colors I'd never encountered before. I filled my pockets with shells and kept walking, and for a long time, I didn't even realize it was a person up there along the beach. It was just a speck that moved. Distances were hard to judge with just skyscraper high cliffs and an infinite ocean for scale, but I'd say I walked only a mile or so before it was clear. A man, and something low and long and yellow, and rocks. He raised a hand in distant greeting, and I waved back, annoyed. Ridiculous, I know, but I'd found a magical world, gone through the back of the wardrobe, down the rabbit hole, through the bottom of the grandfather clock onto platform nine and three quarters, through the looking glass. The idea that teenagers swam here and men made bonfires, yes, that was a ring of stones for a fire circle, infuriated me. Late again, late as always. This had all been happening. This had all been here without me. My friend! The man called once I got closer, though he was a stranger to me, pale, beaming, wiry, perhaps in his forties, dressed in khakis and a striped shirt that made him look like a caricature of a French waiter with a floppy brown, wide-brimmed hat secured by a string under his chin. I nodded at him and looked at his camp on a little spit of land that stuck farther out into the water than the rest of the beach hereabouts. The yellow thing was a boat, the inflatable kind with a small motor, and it was half filled with something covered by a blue tarp. A couple of oars rested inside as well. The thing hardly looked like an ocean-going vessel, but it looked like the kind of boat you could get through the gap in the fence when it was deflated, which was probably more important. The stranger clapped me on the shoulder, barely able to contain his delight at seeing me. Not a reaction I'd seen from anyone in longer than I could remember. Do you have the key, he said. Mister, I said, I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. He frowned and took a step back, looked me up and down and said, No, you're definitely him. You're here and that's proof enough, even if I didn't recognize you. You never dreamed about me? I don't remember my dreams, I said, a mostly truth. I don't anymore. One of the effects, one of the best effects of my anti-anxiety medication is that it spares me from my dreams. He nodded briskly, as if this were a small technical problem he could easily overcome. He had an air of easy competence I found profoundly dispiriting. Well, let me ask, 
Do you have a key? One you've carried around for years and you don't know why? I frowned. My wife, when I had a wife, had called it my lucky charm, though it had never brought me any luck that I'd noticed. An old-fashioned key I'd found as a child in the weeds behind my house, and somehow kept ever since. Black iron with a barrel as long as my pinky finger, and three-notched teeth, with an ornate loop of curved metal at the other end. I used it as a fob, hooked to the ring that held my actual keys. My wife had said that it might open the door to my dream house if I ever found it, but I'd always thought it looked more like something to seal up a dungeon, like it had been used to lock up something terrible, and then thrown away. I crossed my arms. Look, do you mind telling me what's going on? What is this place? I hated the sound of my own voice, the voice of a whiner and regretter, talking to a man who was clearly a doer of acts. Of course, forgive me. He sat on the sand, cross-legged, and I lowered myself to face him. I began dreaming of this speech a year ago to the day, he said, every night. At first, I ignored it. But one day, I just followed my feet to the fence. Well, you know, you did the same thing, even if you've forgotten the dreams that showed you the way. After I found the beach, the dreams began to tell me what to do, about the voyage I'd take, the perils I'd face, and of course, the ones who would help me. The woman who brought me a canteen that, in this place, turned salt water sweet. A boy and a girl who brought me a toy compass that showed the way across the sea, and a toy spyglass that sees for miles. They still come here to swim sometimes, and I think the water may keep them young, for a very long time. The old man who brought me the net that summons delicious fish to the surface. And now you, with the key. The last thing I need. Who brought you the boat, I asked, reaching out and thumping my fist against the inflated side. He laughed. The laugh of a man who always finds whatever he needs near to hand, and thinks that's perfectly natural. Some things I had to provide myself. I set sail at sunset. Well, not sail, but you get the idea. I just need the key. Huh. What if I don't have it? His smile didn't exactly falter, but he looked puzzled. You're here. That means you're meant to be here. I tried to show the beach to my friends when I first found it, but none of them could even see this place. Most people, if they crawl through that fence... They just find a lot full of weeds and garbage, but not you. You must be him. You belong. I looked at the boat, the ocean, the lowering sun. Am I, uh, supposed to go with you? There was a note in my voice that even I would have been hard-pressed to identify. Now his smile did disappear, slowly, like a pot of water boiling dry on the stove. No, he said. No, it's not like that. Story of my life. I was nothing but part of the story of someone else's life. I'll just get you the key, I said, standing up. Thank you. He stood up when I did. I've waited for so long. I've never punched anyone before, and it hurt my hand far worse than I can imagine it hurt his face. His nose didn't even bleed, but... He fell down, sitting back on the sand, 
and stared up at me, bewildered. Even when I picked up the oar and swung in a way I hadn't swung anything since Little League when I was seven years old. I didn't mean to hit him so hard. I figured I could just tie him up. He had to have some rope under that tarp somewhere. But he didn't move again, and some blood ran from his ear into the sand. So I just left him alone after I took the compass and the little plastic spyglass from his pocket. The net and canteen were already in the boat. I am sorry. I am. But I learned long ago that saying I'm sorry isn't the same as saying I wouldn't do it again. He had a notebook and one of those space pens that writes underwater, wrapped up in a waterproof pouch. The book has the word ship's log and a picture of an anchor on the cover embossed in gold. I've been writing in it while I wait for the sun to go down, and by now it's almost too dark to see the black words on the white page. That's fine. It's almost time to push into the waves anyway. I don't have my medication with me, so maybe tonight I'll dream. But if I don't, that's fine too. Water to drink? Sweeter than scotch and soda, I'm sure. I'll catch fish to eat. Compass to guide me? Glass to see? And a key. My key. Whatever another man's dreams might have to say. My key. And whatever it opens, whatever that brings, mine too. Mine forever. Mine at last. And welcome back. So, before the story, I mentioned that I had some of my own really exciting news that I wanted to share with you all. If you want to skip that, maybe fast forward a minute or two. If you're still here, you might remember that a few weeks back, I said I'd finished recording my very first audiobook. Well, it was approved earlier this week, and it should be available from Audible within the next month or two. That book, my first audiobook, is Briar Patch by Tim Pratt. That's right, Briar Patch. I'm really excited about this. I loved reading it when we did the spotlight on it last year, and I was so bummed when Tim told me there wasn't any plans for it to come out in audio, and now it is. And I got to read it. So, if you liked me reading this story and want to hear me read some more Tim Pratt, or more anything for that matter, please, please, please consider going to Audible and picking up a copy of Briar Patch when it comes out. I had a lot of fun reading it. I tried to put everything I had into it. And I'd love to be able to do more audiobooks. Telling you guys stories every week is one of my absolute favorite things. And I'd love to be able to do it in a more professional capacity as well. I'll keep you cats updated about the release of it naturally. And I promise also not to bang on about it forever. And I'm going to shut up now because I don't want to go into crazy promo shilling mode. And I'm a little bit shy about even talking about it, but I'm also thrilled about it. And I hope to do more of it, and I hope some of you will maybe consider checking it out. Okay, woo! Safe for everyone else to come back now because it's feedback time. And feedback is for everyone. Let them eat feedback. This week we're covering Nalo Hopkinson's Ours is the Prettiest, read by the author herself, which was a story set in Bordertown about abusive relationships, 
and one of the strangest parades we've ever read about here in Fantasyland. Our forum was generally pretty split on the story, although quite a few listeners mentioned how much they enjoyed listening to Miss Hopkinson's reading. Devoted135 said, I love the lilting tones of the narrator's voice, and really enjoyed letting her take me along on a ride through the Caribbean streets of Bordertown. Both the characters and the setting felt very authentic, and a welcome diversion from the usual Eurocentric flavors. For me, this was a poem expanded into a story, and I'm really glad that the author read it, because I'm not sure any of the current Podcastle readers could have brought it to life in the same way. Anarchistador said, I like the narration, and I thought it was quite well written, but I just can't get into these Bordertown stories for some reason. I think it's a function of form. In the audio format, I just get too confused. I had the same problem with the Rowan gentleman. I was just unable to figure out what exactly was going on. Maybe if I'd read the text, I'd have a better idea. Which seemed to be the general consensus for people who didn't like it. They generally just don't find the shared world of Bordertown that engaging. However, Hail to the Chimp said, After listening to Nalo's reading, I'd have to say that I ranked this story as one of my favorites in the Welcome to Bordertown collection. It really does a service to the wider setting by featuring some characters who are outside of the Eurocentric hetero background that most of the other Bordertown protagonists belong to. I always thought it was a little awkward that people of presumably all sorts of cultures in the real world managed to break through into a semi-mythical world to find that the magical peoples there only came from European fairy tales, which is why this story scratched an itch for me. Well, thank you for those comments. Swing on by forum.escapeartist.net to let us know what you thought of this week's episode. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget while you're there to check out the rules for Escape Pod's Flash Fiction Contest. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors so we can continue to bring you to some of the best beaches, castles, and dungeons in all of Fantasyland. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, soon-to-be debut novelist Anne Leckie, amazing sound producer and grad student Peter Wood, and your not-so-humble editors Anna Schwind and myself, Dave Thompson, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another story on a different shoreline, courtesy of Keffy R.M. Curley. But in the meantime, a little riddle for you. What did one snowman say to the other snowman? Maybe bang bang? We'll find out, or will we, in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Jenny Hahn said, When you walk on the beach at night, you can say things you can't say in real life. What is hard to us? Please hear my anguish words of truth. What is right and what is wrong?